Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, Knowing the Truth. And the reason we've entitled that series for this Gospel, Knowing the Truth, is that's, that's the truth about why he wrote it. In Luke chapter 1, uh, he said, I'm writing these things unto you that you might know the truth about the things you've been taught. And sometimes we are taught things and afterwards we wonder, I wonder what I was listening to is actually the truth, and that's the sole purpose of, of, or the passion that Luke was inspired by God to write the record of the life of Jesus. And as you think about being taught certain things, there's a variety of ways that people will teach others. Some have described it as the Socratic method in which the teacher asks the students questions, and uh, we're, um, we're also familiar with that when the teacher gives us the test, whether it's the middle of the quarter or whatever it might be. But also, the other times, you have the, the students asking the teacher questions. Well, this morning, we know that Jesus was the master teacher. He was the master at asking questions, but he was also the master at answering questions. And so this morning, we're going to look at Jesus answering the questions that others had. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7, where we left off uh, last week. And we're going to see Jesus moving on from doing the miraculous. Well, often, if we think about just reflecting on what we hear and read about in the New Testament, we were saying, wouldn't that be an exciting time to have been there, to see what Jesus did and, and how he did it and hear what he said and how he said it. And we were just amazed at the, at the privilege they had to, to be there uh, and see it firsthand. Uh, but we need to understand as we think about that, some of the experiences they had were not as, as marvelous as we would anticipate because even if they saw it and heard it they were still filled with questions and this morning we're going to we're going to see Jesus respond to them and in fact in your message title I've, I've put it this way the truth about doubt significance and preferences in some ways you wonder how do those fit together in some ways they do in some ways they don't but it's it's the record that Luke gives us and, and we're going to deal with a person whom we would anticipate wouldn't have what he had uh, but we're going to see why he had what he had, which is doubts. Uh, but before we do that, let's look at Jesus answering some questions and see what the questions were. Uh, in Luke chapter 7, we have Jesus from last week doing that which just amazed people. There were a lot of things that Jesus did that uh, people would not forget, but I'm sure on this particular day they hadn't forgotten because Jesus did the miraculous with someone that no one would expect that he would do it for. It was, it was not a Jewish Man, it was a Gentile, it was a centurion, a soldier by occupation, and he did that which you would be amazed at because without even being in the physical presence of the one that he had asked for Jesus to heal, with a word, he healed them. And the commentary of Jesus upon that miracle is, I've never seen such great faith in all of the land of Israel. And then Jesus does the miracle which is beyond all miracles. He, he discovers a man, who had, a young man who had died, and his mother who was a widow, so she had already lost her husband, and now she had lost her only son. Without a request and without a statement of faith, Jesus just moved by compassion. And we find that last week is, is where your pain becomes my pain. Your pain becomes that which is in my heart or in my gut. It's that which moves me. Jesus, just by his power, brings that young man back to life. Now, I've already shared with you that we're going to talk about doubts. And if, if, if in any way, shape, or form you had seen it or heard it, you would not have any, what, doubts about Jesus. But that was not the case. 
And in fact, even those who saw what he did didn't quite get it all. Because in Luke chapter 7, verse uh, 16, it says, Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. And, and that was a statement of praise. You know, Jesus is a prophet. He's a man of God, but he's more than someone who just spoke forth the word of God. And it goes on, it says, And uh, this report concerning him went out over all Judea and all the surrounding district. So without social media and any other shape or form that we have to get the word out, everyone found out about what Jesus had done. With a word healing somebody whom others felt Jesus wouldn't even bother with, and then by just a touch and a word, Jesus rose someone from the dead. Now, you would, might think that some would have doubts because they're just the doubting type. You know any people like that? I mean, no matter, what is it, Missouri, you know, you, you know, the show me state? I mean, and not only show me, but show me again and again and again and again. I'm not going to be convinced. And there are other people that, not we're going to call them um, a little naive or a little gullible, but they are the convinced. And you say, nothing's going to shake what they believe. And yet we're going to encounter someone who has doubts that, it's going to help us kind of maybe with some of the doubts that we have at times. And so let's look at the question that Jesus responds to. In John chapter 7, begin verse 18. The disciples of John, and the word disciples simply means follower, the follower of John reported uh, to him about all these things. So they, they heard the story. Jesus of the word healed somebody. Jesus rose someone from the dead. And summoning two of his followers, disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And when the men came to him, this was saying the same thing over again to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Now, that's sort of surprising. Here is John asking a question you would have thought he already knew the, you can talk to me, he, he should have known the answer, right? And yet he's struggling with it. You could say he had some doubts about that which he was previously fully convinced. And so this morning, I, I want to I deal with doubts because that's what Jesus dealt with. And I want to deal with his response, which I think really does this. He, he tells us what we can do with our doubts. And so just some simple observations this morning. Number one. If you have doubts, or if you know someone who has doubts, which now I'm now talking to 100% of you out there, okay? We have doubts, or we know people have doubts. Number one, you can know, or they can know, they are not the only one. And isn't that helpful sometimes? Sometimes when we go through things, we think, wow, no one's gone through what I'm going through. No one knows the pain I'm experiencing. No one is struggling like I'm struggling. If people were in my situation, they would understand how difficult this is. And sometimes with doubts, we, we begin to think we're the only one who has doubts. We're the only one who has questions. We, we're the only one who's a little confused or a little troubled. And that was one of the favorite lines of Jesus, let not your heart be, what, troubled. And so Jesus speaks into this, and part of it, at least from an affirming perspective, is you're not the only one. And a couple of simple observations. When you think you're the only one who has doubts, remember the man with the, the nickname, what was his name, in, or what, what have, how have we named him in the New Testament, one of the apostles of Jesus? The Doubting Thomas, right? And the reason he is given that nickname is because Thomas doubted. And Thomas was good at asking questions, and 
And there were times he struggled with what he had been told before. And let me just say this, which I haven't said already yet. You know, when we think about doubts, we ought to define what a doubt is. You know, a, a doubt is, is a person who used to be convinced something was true and now is struggling whether it's still true or not. We're not talking about a person who, who hasn't yet come to that place where they're convinced or have been convinced about Jesus. Now, that's not a doubting person. That, that's a person who is trying to seek, if they are seeking or not seeking, that which is true. We're talking about people who used to believe or are struggling with what they used to believe and now are, are questioning at the point where they're really bothered by what is the real answer. Some have said this, that if you have doubts, maybe all it is right now is you're thinking more deeply about something than you used to think before. That's a lot better way to say I'm, I'm a thinker. I'm not a doubter. I'm a thinker, okay? Well, John is now, he's now thinking. He's thinking deeply about that which he was already convinced about in the past. And I, I don't think he had lost his faith, but he was struggling. And maybe what we could say is, what's the truth about struggling with, with things that, you're, that you really believe are important, but you're now not quite as convinced as you were, as you were in the past? Well, number one, remember you're not the only one. And just, we're not going to have time, we're going to have to race through some things, but just making references to the passage I have, have in your outline. In John chapter uh, 20, verses 24 and 25, we, we have that account of, of Thomas who, who uh, had heard about Jesus, going to be dying on the cross. Jesus said that many times to the disciples. And then he said, three days later, I'm going to be risen from the dead. And, and all of them had t- taken off, and they weren't convinced that that was actually going to happen. And Jesus uh, uh, demonstrates or, or arrives on the scene with ten of those disciples. Uh, Judas had gone off. And the only one who hadn't been in the physical presence of Jesus after the resurrection was, was Thomas. And so his best friends told him about what happened. And yet Thomas did not, what? Believe. And sometimes you might have had that experience. People you really trust, they tell you something, and you're saying, no, this is too good to be true. I just can't be convinced. And, and so we know the story. He says, I, I, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in his, in, his, in his hands and my finger in his side. I'm not going to convince that I can really really see it firsthand. And so Jesus arrives on the scene, and all of a sudden Thomas just bows and worships at my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says this, John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. And that really speaks to us, because sometimes what we want God to do for us when we're going through doubts is, if you'll just do these things, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll do the, my to-do list, then I'll be convinced as I used to be. And, and God obviously can do that, but God is not compelled to, to show up and physically demonstrate himself before us like he did Thomas. And he said, really, it's more blessed if you believe even when you're not seeing firsthand. But let's forget Thomas for a moment. Uh, let's, let's look at the one we just read about. Remember the man who baptized Jesus. Of all the people you would have thought would not have doubted, it would have been, it would have been John. I mean, John had basically had a miracle birth, and, and at least through the, the, the mothers. I mean, Jesus was his cousin, and, and he had heard from day one about Jesus. And, and then his assignment from God was pretty clear, wasn't it? You are to be the one who prepares the way for the expected one, the promised one. And, and, and as he's preaching this message, and as God is using it in a powerful way, all of a sudden Jesus shows up. He shows up at his baptism. Remember that account? And immediately, John the Baptist says, I I can't baptize you. You ought to baptize me. 
I'm the sinner. You're not the sinner. And then God gives evidential reason to believe, for anyone to believe, that Jesus is the expected one, the promised one. At his baptism, the, the dove descends upon him as of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a voice out of heaven said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. John had had experience in a supernatural way of the identity of who Jesus is. And then, then John actually went public on it. In John chapter 1, verse 29, you have John saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And he pointed to Jesus. And that even goes a little bit further. He not only knew who Jesus is, but also what he was to do. Who is he? He's the Lamb of God. And he came to take away the sins of the world. That's what he came to do. And this, just in case we don't quite get it, in just a couple of verses further down, verse 34, we, we have the account of John saying, I testify to you, this is the Son of God. And, and yet what we have encountered here, he, he's got some doubts. He is struggling. He is struggling so much that he, he sends his closest companions to Jesus and says, i got a very direct question. Everything I've been saying about you, that you are the expected one, you are the promised one, is that true? Are you the one, or should we start looking for another? Have I been wrong? And so I, I think to begin with, when we have doubts, let's not deny we have doubts. Let's, let's admit we do. And then recognize, okay, we're not the only ones. We can quit beating ourselves up. Sometimes we beat ourselves up more than we, than we need to. You know, God is not surprised when we have doubts. God is not surprised when we struggle. But don't stay there. Secondly, what do we do with our doubts? Number, number two, I would say this. You need to be honest about why you have doubts. Now, here's, here's what I want to talk about when I'm not going to talk about, and then I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about, okay? There are many reasons why people have doubts. There are many reasons why we have doubts. And, and let's just include us all. We have all had doubts at various degrees. Now, why do people have doubts? I've got two that's in the text, but I'm, let me give you a couple other ones. Number one, some people have doubts because of intellectual reasons. Intellectual reasons, they've been, um, they've been wrestling with the whole picture about who Jesus is. They've been wrestling with the whole record of, of what we know about God, which is in this book called the Bible. They've been hearing uh, questions from skeptics. They've read other people. They've heard other people. And they're, they're putting down what we believe. And all of a sudden they say, well, I'm not sure this is true. What about the dinosaurs? You know, what about carbon-14 dating? What, what about creation? Do we have young earth or do we have old earth? What, what about the historicity of this book? You know, what, what about um, extra-biblical writings and what they say about Jesus or don't say about Jesus? What about all the extra-gospels we don't have in this book? And does that mean that the extra-gospels uh, are true and these are not true? Or are these true and those are not true? And why would you believe that? All the different things about why this cannot be true. How, how do we believe in Christianity when so many wars were, were fought in the name of God? Whatever it might be. Okay? Intellectual reasons. And some, for some people, that's what kind of prevents them. Well, I don't want to say prevents. That's one of the issues that they wrestle with in terms of crossing the line of faith about Jesus. And then some people, after they've crossed the line of faith, they wonder, well, have I believed in that which is not true? Well, let me just tell you about intellectual reasons. And primarily, for most of us, we are, we are relying on, upon people who are saying this to us. We are not experts in every one of those fields, whether it be science, history, 
theology, whatever it might be. And, and basically what, we, what people wrestle with is that it, it, we have all these smart people who don't believe what I believe. And if they're smarter than me and they are more trained than me, then maybe what I believe is not true. On the other hand, what you need to understand, there are smart people, well-trained people, who do believe that it's what? That it's true. And all I can say about intellectual reasons, as far as why people struggle about the reality of who Jesus is, is that if you really have questions, then pursue answers. In any of those things I just mentioned, there are good responses to every single accusation against Christianity. In fact, to me, they're much more compelling than the answers they give concerning what they believe. Because everyone believes something. Okay? And so, as much as they put doubt on our faith, let me tell you, we can put doubt on what they believe. And so, intellectual answer, we don't have to be fearful about anything. If this is true, it's going to be shown to be true. And there's all kinds of responses to what people uh, place against Christianity and pursue it if that is what you're wrestling with. Secondly, the other reason that people have doubts is not intellectual reasons, and I think there's great responses for everything that people raise against Christianity. It doesn't mean we have all the answers. It's like they don't have all the answers either, but there's so much compelling evidence for the reality of who Jesus is. The other issue, and I think it's more prevalent, is moral reasons. Now think about it. This is true for so many people that I've had experiences with that, that had faith and maybe have some faith in Christ and now no longer seem to have faith? And what, what brought some of these doubts up about now they'll say, well, I'm not really sure it's true? Because what's happened in their life is there's some things they want to do that they know God doesn't want them to do, and they got to make a decision. Does God know, know, know best or do I know best or the world knows best? And when God says something clearly and you want to go the exact opposite way, let me tell you, great doubt will come in in terms of how you see God and believe there is a God. And so what people have to do, just like in the intellectual question, they've got to pursue answers. And then the moral issue, they've got to be honest with themselves. Am I, am I wrestling with doubts because I want to do what I know God doesn't want me to do? And at that point, you, you've got to decide, do I believe God knows what he's doing and there is a God, or I, do I not? It has nothing to do with intellectual struggles. It has to deal with moral issues. And the vast majority of people right here, because our hearts are sinful and deceitful and there's the passing pleasures of sin, and we all want to go down that path. That makes sense? But I'm not talking about that. That's all for free, right? What, 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 what's the reason that John had doubt? Well, let, let's look at it. And this is also very prevalent with all of us in various shapes and forms. Uh, where John had doubt was, number one, painful experiences. Painful experiences. What we need to realize is, is this question, are you the expected one or do we need to look for another one? Th- this, this question was not raised in a vacuum. Where was John when he was wrestling with this? In fact, you could ask yourself, well, why didn't John himself come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, hey, cuz, you know, what's, what's going on here? And I don't want to say that, you know, blasphemous, but, I mean, they were connected. They had known each other. Uh, the reason he didn't go himself to ask that question, and I would, I would suggest to all of us, if you have a question, it's better for you to ask it than send somebody else. Would you agree? Nod your head like you... Okay, so, so he, could, he didn't, and why? Because he couldn't. He was in jail. He was in prison. 
And, and it, was, it was not a pleasant experience. The, the jail, the, the prison is still historically uh, in a desert place on a, on a hill that still has iron hooks. And it's a very desolate place. He was, he was away from everybody. And it wasn't that he had not experienced hardship in his life, but, but it, didn't make, it, didn't, it didn't make sense to him. If, if, if Jesus is the promised one, why am I in prison? And you know what adds to painful experiences? Some painful experiences, when we're, when we're in the midst of them, we look in the, in the mirror and say, well, why, why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? And often the reason we, we are experiencing what we're experiencing is because we've done something wrong, right? I'm getting what I deserve. But you know what adds to painful experiences? When you look at it and you say, look at I'm experiencing painful experiences, but I didn't do anything wrong. It's, it's, that, may, it's that long f- dilemma that children have when, when they think things aren't going the way they want them to, to go, and they say, life is not fair, right? And John is saying, look, at, I've done everything for God. I've done exactly what God wanted me to do, and I'm in prison and this long-expected one, he's out with all the freedom going on the countryside, and he's not experiencing any hardship I'm experiencing. That's, that's not right. That's not fair. And if you have your, your notes this morning, it says Matthew eleven two. 2. It talks about him being in prison. And how many believe there's 305 verses in chapter 14 in Matthew 14? That should be Matthew 14, 3 through 5, all right, not 305. John is going to die in prison. He's gonna, his head is going to be placed on a platter. And given to Herodias. And, and, he, and it just, it doesn't seem to fit. Why am I experiencing this pain when I've done everything that God wanted me to do? And doesn't that bring doubts in your life when it, you, your faith doesn't seem to be rewarded? Your obedience doesn't seem to be rewarded? And you know, John was not unlike us. We, we all struggle with that when life is not fair. When we lose our freedom... And for no cause of our own, we wonder, where, where's, where's God? In fact, even more specifically with Jesus, and we'll touch on this in your Bible study this week, part of what Jesus came to do was to free the captives, right? He even announced it himself. And so, you know, John's going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a captive. You're here to free the captives. And I'm in prison. This doesn't fit. I'm experiencing pain, and you seem to have no worry about where I'm at. When do we have doubts? When we have painful experiences, when we lose our freedom. You know, we're all familiar with the story of Job. Job chapter 2, um, to make a long story short, he had lost everything, right? And he still had remained faithful, so Satan says, God, can I touch him? Can I touch him physically? And he loses his health. When we, when we start to lose that which is so valuable to us, where we had the ability to drive and now we can no longer drive, we had the ability to see and we can't see very well. When we basically woke up in the morning and we didn't have any pain, now we have pain every time we wake up. Or when we see whatever disease we're experiencing, we see it, the direction of it is, is, not, is not restoration, but it's deterioration. We can all ask the question, well, God, when are you going to show up? 
And that brings doubt to us because we wonder about the goodness of God and the presence of God. Or 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 through 23, we looked at that last week, at least in your Bible study, and it's the experience of David and Bathsheba, and they brought forth a child. The child was innocent, the parents were not, but there was nothing wrong with the child. And the consequence for the child was death. And there is no more unnatural experience for parents than for their children to die before they die. I mean, this makes no sense. We who are older should die before those who are younger. Would we all agree with that? And yet that didn't happen. And, and so, so you, have, you have John saying, where are you? you how, are you sure you're the expected one? So painful experiences can just bring us doubt. Also, wrong expectations. And I'll just touch on that. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 to 12, this is, this is John baptizing Jesus, actually talking about him going to baptize the one who was to come. And he said, I want you to know, I, I baptize with water. And it's for the demonstration that you recognize your need, and it's for the repentance of sin. But there's one coming to me that is so much mightier than I am. I'm not even fit to untie a sandal. And Jewish people, never, they, were, they didn't touch people's feet. They thought that was beneath them. He said, I'm not even, I'm not even at that level where I could even have the, the right to, to help him with his sandals. I'm so below who he is. And he's coming and he's going to baptize in the power of the Spirit. And he's going to bring judgment to the unrighteous. And so all of a sudden, John's in prison now, and he's saying, when's this supposed to happen? It seems like the wicked are prospering. Look at King Herod. I mean, he's prospering. I'm in the prison. When, when are you going to bring that, that power and that fire? And, and sometimes we do that as well. God, you're not, you don't seem to be doing the right things in, in Washington or in Sacramento or my local homeowners association. I don't care what it is. I mean, uh, things are right. How can that be? And we wonder, is God asleep up there? And how, how could we be in the presence of the expected one when the wicked are prospering? In Acts chapter 1-6, we had the same idea. The disciples, after the cross, they, they were all excited. He said, is now the time you're going to set up the kingdom for Israel? And he didn't say he wasn't going to set up the kingdom for Israel, but he said, but you don't need to know the time I'm going to do that. But they had expectations. And really what I'm saying is Romans chapter 8, 28, a familiar verse for many of you, and we know that God causes all things to work together for what? Good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But really, we, we would prefer that verse to say, and we know that God will only allow good to happen in my life. Isn't that true? I mean, that's really our expectation. God, if I'm faithful to you, if I love you, if I follow you, if I serve you, I obey you, then there'll be some kind of a co you know, cocoon around me, and the only good will come into my life. That seems natural. Wouldn't that be true? You love God, obey God, then good is only going to come. But God never promised that. And so when we have doubts and loved ones have doubts, well, you've got to be honest with God. God, am I expecting that which you have not told me I should expect? A am I thinking somehow that I shouldn't experience pain in a fallen world that has pain everywhere? You know, when bad things happen, more than anything else, we as God's people shouldn't be surprised. 
Why should we be surprised in a world that's gone wrong? And only when Jesus comes again will everything may be made right. And so our doubts, whether it's from intellectual places or moral places or painful places or expectations that have gone wrong, we need to be honest with God about our struggles. And we might not like our struggles, but we we must come to the point where we're convinced that He is still who He is. Because circumstances never change the truth. They just... They just change how we live out the truth and how, how, with how much ease or how much struggle. Does that make sense? So when we have doubts, we need to be like John. And we need to realize that, that he wasn't the only one. I'm sure even his own followers were starting to doubt, right? As he sent those to ask this question of Jesus, they had the same question, but they were pray, afraid to ask. So even when they got there, so, oh, it's not us asking the question, it's, it's John the Baptist. You know, it's your cousin. But they had the same questions. Just like Thomas. We call him Downing Thomas. He had the same questions they did. And if, if they hadn't seen Jesus, they would have been like Thomas, and they wouldn't have believed either. And, and when we have, we, we need to be honest about why we're struggling. And then thirdly, and this is just right out of the text, we need to ask good questions and pursue good answers. Because Jesus does answer the question. In, in verse 21, at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to those who were blind. So the disciples come to Jesus of John. The disciples of John come to Jesus, and Jesus, before he says something, he does something. He repeats all the miracles again. And then he says, and I think the reason he does that, because sometimes with God, we're like this. What have you done for me lately, right? We can look back in the past. God, you've been so good. But what about now? And so he said, okay, in case you've forgotten all those miracles that you've seen and heard about, let me just do them again. So he does them again, and then he says this, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now the last phrase in case, I didn't really spend any time in the first service talking about that, but he's saying, Happy are you that when you go through painful experiences, wrong expectations, you don't take offense that you're at me for allowing you to go through what you're going through. But look at what is the credential for me. What is the credential for me? And you can say it in a lot of different ways, but you could say it this way. If, if, if the Messiah was to come, or what I like to put it, or others would, if God were to become a man, what would he or who would he be like? And this is the Sunday school answer for every question. He would be just like, you can say it with a little more enthusiasm. He'd be just like Jesus, right? Isn't that true? Let's say it one more time. Jesus, all right? Isn't that true? Now, you can struggle whether you really believe this is true about him, but if God were to become a man, I mean, how, how, how can anybody do more than Jesus did, Right? I mean, who else is going to raise people from the dead? Who else is going to be raised from the dead when he died? Who else is going to heal every disease that comes to him? Who's going to bring sight to the blind? Who, who, who's going to take the, make the lame to walk? Who's going to do all these things? It's going to be, it's going to be a person just like Jesus. They can't, they can't surpass Jesus. You can't surpass this. And not only that, he was a fulfillment of all the passages in the Old Testament. Look through the Isaiah passages. This is exactly what Isaiah said would happen. He meets all the qualifications. And so don't take offense when 
life's not fair, and when you don't have expectations of when God does what you want Him to do, we all have that all the time. And when you have some questions you can't answer, there's some questions I have that I haven't quite got the best answer for, but there's so many of my questions that have been answered. There are times I struggle, there's some things I want to do that God says, no, don't do, and so I have to trust in all those kind of things. But Jesus would be who God would be if God became man, and we really believe he did become man, and he is Jesus. So give our doubts to God, and he'll settle it. Now, this, will, this is where I was in the first service, and you're looking at two more points. You're saying, how long are we going to be in church today? All right? So I, I'm not going to do my last point, but I'm going to share my second point fairly rapidly. He talks about doubts. That was his first question, because this is a message where Jesus answers questions. Now, what's his second question? Let's look at it. Uh, John, I mean, Luke chapter 7, verse 24 uh, through 30. When the messengers of John had left, so they took off to tell John what had happened, and they had to go to the prison, he, this is Jesus, began to speak to the crowds about John. And in many ways, it, I was trying to think, what, what is the connection between doubts and all of a sudden we're going to look at another point I think Jesus is making here, is that when you have doubts, sometimes you have doubts, or one of the reasons you're brought to doubts is because somebody that you really respect has doubts. Have you ever had that happen? You know, all of a sudden, this person, or, or put it in a different way, you have a, a Christian leader or a Christian example, and all of a sudden they fall from their faith, and they, they're going through a period of struggle, and you think, whoa, if, if, if they could have doubts, if they could mess up, maybe I ought to rethink what I believe, right? Been there or heard that or at least felt that? We've, we've had some great people of prominence in the, in the faith have moral failures and have left the faith, and we begin, oh, wow, what, what about this? And, and so I'm sure they were surprised at John having doubts, right? And so Jesus asked them some questions. What, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A, a reed shaken by the wind. When you saw John, did you go out there to see someone who wasn't strong or someone who was strong? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing, those who are splendidly clothed, living in luxury, are, are found in royal places. But what did you go out to see? And you can either say this in a statement or a question. A, a prophet or a prophet. Yes, I say to you, and no one who is more than a, and, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Not only did Jesus fulfill prophecy, so did John. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way before you? I say to you, and here's the whole point. He said, look, if you look at this person, he has doubts. Well, that's all right. I, I want you to understand how important he is because he is a fulfiller of prophecy. And I want to, and there's my point, I want you to see how significant he is. And this is how he says it, verse 28. I say to you, among whom those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Now, that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? You, you look back and all of it, if you just take Israel's history, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you look at Moses, you look at Noah, you look at all the prophets. I, I want you to know, if, if we put them on a list here, who would be number one? If you're a basketball fan, a fan, who's better, LeBron or Michael Jordan? You know, you, they're going back and forth. You know, who, who's, the, who's the goat? Have you heard that? That's greatest of all time. And basically we say, here, here's the goat. Isn't that a strange way to say the greatest of all time? Yeah, he, who, is, who is the greatest? And he says, John. There's no one who's been greater than him. And there might be someone maybe close or equal, but no one is better than John. 
So I guess if you could ask the question, okay, you were starting to struggle about John, but I want you to know, look how significant he is. He struggled, but that doesn't mean he failed. He just struggled. There's no one greater than him. But for us, what's interesting, he, he then goes on and says this, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Who was he saying that to? He was saying that really to us. We are on, on this side of the cross. And basically he said everybody on the other side of the cross, they were looking forward to this day. They didn't experience all that was promised. But everybody on the other side of the cross in the empty tomb, we've experienced everything. John's message was preparing the way for Jesus to come. We're telling him he has not only come, but he's accomplished it all for us. He's saying to each of us here, even if you've had doubts or having doubts, you are significant in God's eyes. There is no one greater in the Old Testament than you. You have reached the pinnacle of God's plan if you know him in a personal way. This was overwhelming to them. In fact, it's interesting, the response, real quickly, verse 29. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John, saying, look at now we get it. They were starting to have doubts about their own baptism. Maybe we shouldn't have gotten in that water with John. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? Or just, I wish I hadn't done that? Anybody been there? And they're saying, okay, we did, we did do the right thing. We did believe in the right person. The message was true. We needed to prepare a way for the one who was expected. Did all of them think that? No. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. Why? Because they hadn't been baptized by, by John. They hadn't committed to that which is true. And so our doubts will only be able to be handled once we cross the line of faith and we believe this is true and we might struggle with it. But you, don't, you can't have doubts until you've made a step of faith, until you decide something is true or not true. You know, it's also interesting here, and I just throw this in as we close. You know, their, their willingness to be baptized by John was totally significant. Because the, Gent- uh, the Jewish people didn't get baptized. That, that wasn't their ushering into the covenant family of God is to be dipped under water and brought up out of water. The only people who did that were Gentiles who changed from what they believed about God and they adopted the Jewish faith. It was Gentiles becoming, in a sense, Jewish followers of Yahweh are the ones who got baptized. So they did something that was was really a statement of boldness saying, I, I, I really believe that, that just being Jewish is not enough. I, I need to have my heart right with God. And the only way to have my heart right with God is to repent of my sins, turn from my sins. And so they, in a public demonstration, that got baptized. And we're basically talking about adults here. But you know what's also interesting? These who made that public demonstration, later on, they got baptized again. Because they got baptized in the baptism of John, but in Acts chapter 19, those who had only heard about John and his baptism, nothing about the Holy Spirit, it says they were baptized into Jesus. They got baptized twice because they were making a public demonstration of what they truly believed. On June 11, we're going to have a baptism here. And if you've never been baptized as a demonstration of your faith, then then make that public proclamation. It's a statement that what I believe is, I believe it so strongly, I'm, I'm willing to make a public demonstration of it. So what's the point this, this morning? And we're not getting to the third point. Is that, that Jesus, 
Jesus is able to answer questions. And he wants us to, to understand that, okay, doubts, everyone has doubts. You're not the only one. I mean, even one of my closest companions, Thomas, did, and so did John the Baptist preparing the way. But you need to be honest about why you have doubts. Face them. Bring them to me. And then pursue answers. Jesus, the, the greatest thing about John here about his doubts is he went to the right source, right? Sometimes we, can, we, have, we have questions and we go to people who don't have the answers. But Jesus has the answers and, and God's word has the answers. Take your doubts to him. And then secondly, if you ever wonder, you know, do I value, do, does my life have value to God? And here's, a, you know, he compares us to John. John had the prophetic gift. He was a preacher. He was a successful preacher in terms, when he gave the invitation, everyone came forward. And everyone, not everyone, but so many came forward, got baptized, made a big commitment. But he says, look at those who have experienced God fully. Those are the ones who have significance. And if you've, if you've placed your, your life in Christ's hands, you, you can leave this place knowing that in God's eyes, there isn't anything greater than you because you are the fulfillment of his eternal plan to bring a people unto himself to know him. And see, that is the Christian life, to know him and then desire to have other people know him as well. It doesn't get any better than this. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much that, that Jesus responds to questions, answers them, and then poses questions for us to, to understand the answers. And Father, I would pray for anyone here this morning that, that might not know the Lord Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. I pray today might be the day in which they, they give their lives to him. To say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me my sins. Make me a new person on the inside. I want to follow you. And Father, for us, as we, as we go through times where the experiences are painful and the expectations are not what we would want or hope and or even thought would happen, might we, we still trust you that, that you are still in control when we think life is out of control. But there's coming a day when you'll make all things right. Help us to live for you in faith and confidence. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning. As we-